Welcome to Inaudible. My name is Jeremy Wylan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Masterson. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the archives of LL Research, an organization dedicated to sharing spiritual information with the world. You can find out more about LL Research at llresearch.org. The archives contain transcripts of messages from allegedly discarnate sources who claim to hail from an organization they call the Confederation of Planets in service to the Infinite Creator. Ryan and I will try to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. Thanks for joining us on this journey. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well, Jeremy. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Nice. <laughs> Usually, <laughs> we kind of did all our catch up before we started recording. We so. totally did. I know. Usually <laughs> I have something fun and exciting, at least in my own mind. But today, it's early. Well, it's for you listeners. It's We are three hours apart. Due to our weekend plans, we're getting this in nice and early, kind of for the both of us. Um, yeah. So, but we have our trusty coffee. So... I think we'll do well. Toast and coffee, breakfast champions. <laughs> yes, it was. I I drowned my toast in honey and I let it soak in and then I throw peanut butter on top. And that's like, for some reason, that's just become my staple breakfast in the last couple of years. This is what I eat now. Oh, so wow. I know. Kind of a shift from the healthy oatmeal I used to eat every day, but it, it's kind of like candy, to be honest. It's a little, yeah. little gluttonous of me. <laughs> yeah. I'm still on the, uh, I've been doing the refrigerator oatmeal thing. Hmm. Yeah. And you you uh, put some rolled oats in some uh, milk, or I use almond milk, mm-hmm. uh, some chia seeds, put some fruit on there. I actually use some powdered peanut butter, too, to add some protein. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, let it sit for about 24 hours, and it's, it's ready to go. Nice. Nice. The fruit is the best part too, right? Yeah. I have not done that in a while. It, that's tasty though. Yeah. That is and really in the tasty. summer, you don't want hot oatmeal really. Mm, correct. Not where you live. No. Not where I live. Not that's for sure. You You're already swimming once the sun <laughs> comes up. Mm-hmm. Well, I am looking forward to today because after our episode last week, we agreed that we would cover karma today and- I'm excited about this because as we were discussing before we pressed the record button, our culture tends to see karma, I think, as you said, as a replacement for hellfire and brimstone, right? As if karma is some kind of punishment you have to experience to atone for certain actions uh, in one life that you have to do in another, you know, or a punishment you have to experience in another. So, but the Confederation feels a bit differently. And I enjoy reading what they have to say. And then think about how all of this applies to all of the perceived wrongs that I have committed and the perceived wrongs that others have committed against me. So, I'm excited about this. It's been really helpful for me. What are, do you have any thoughts on uh, just karma in general, or maybe how your your view of karma has changed over the years with with this material? Well, I think that there, like you said, there's a cultural hole that karma fills in the modern era 
that was dug by Christianity or who knows, you know, maybe something that came before that too. But the idea is that karma is kind of a mechanistic, uh, depersonalized form of the retribution that in other times we might have attributed to an angry and jealous God. Mm-hmm. Um, that it is some sort of like legal, <laughs> kind of metaphysical legal uh, or accounting uh, sort of thing where like you're balancing the accounts and like, uh, woe unto you if your accounts are low, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, you broke the rules or something. And I think just like in other areas, the uh, a, a kind of more sober, uh, less personal view of the energetic phenomenon uh, yields a lot of insight because it takes a lot of the guilt and a lot of the, uh, I don't know, just like, you know, beating up on yourself out of it. You realize that there is, this is a, this is not something that's designed to punish you. Mm-hmm. It is something that's designed to help you balance parts of yourself that you may not know well enough. And so in that way, uh, it, it, I think it, it, it's, a lot more workable. And it's important to point out that, it, you know, the Buddhist tradition that it comes from doesn't have all this connotation either. I think it's in a Western tradition where we really start to find this analog for what we already grew up and knew, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very looking forward to, uh, to hashing out some of these ideas. Um, maybe we can start with one of the transcripts from 1978. There was one I w- really wanted to tackle that was just published on the Living, Love, and Light um, uh, podcast. I I believe it was July 5th, 1979. But I would like to go back to October 18th, 1978. And Carla is channeling Lytos, and Lytos is answering questions from the group. I think that in and of itself is rare. Uh, light. Oh no, Hatan. I'm sorry. It's Hatan. I was going to say Lytos rarely answers questions. Mm-hmm. Hatan is, is answering questions. <clears throat> Questioner asks, are experiences, difficult situations always could be considered karmic in nature or just some? Not wanting them themselves, do they have to be necessarily karmically related? And is it important to know the difference if there is a difference? That question is a little a little weird. So they're asking, are difficult experiences always karmic in nature or or not? Yeah, and I think that's worth uh, asking about because you want to know the provenance of your suffering. Mm-hmm. Where does this come from? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're talking to the right people because they have a really good explanation. Hatan replies, Karma is greatly misunderstood among your peoples. There are laws which are known to you as karma, and they are a simple cause and effect, much as you would understand. But you must also understand that your lives are not completely directed by karma. Primarily, those things which are directed by karma are certain choices that you make having to do with relationships with others and, to a lesser extent, your occupation or interest or hobby. Uh, As an example, we should point out that this particular instrument has strong karmic ties with music 
and therefore in this incarnation she has been powerfully drawn to it for the reason that she has great desire to create beauty through music. This bias was positioned in her by her actions in previous incarnations and has affected her life. You will notice that there is no other person involved in this, but it is a simple cause and effect coming through the incarnation. That right there is interesting in that karma, there's a side of karma that doesn't have to do with the relationships you have with others or maybe the rights and wrongs or, as you said, the uh, uh, balancing of the account or, uh, you know, convincing of the jury, um, that it could be completely one-sided, that it's all you and that experiences you have and biases and experience biases you have in one life can translate into experiences and biases in another life. Yeah, I agree. That's a little weird. The idea of karma without another person militates against the idea of what we think karma is in the first place a lot of the time, how we how we think about it functions in our lives. But I think it's important, uh, it's a clue that what's going on here is a little bit less personal than we realize. It's more of an energetic phenomenon. Um, in the Ra contact, Ra calls it inertia. Mm-hmm. Uh, patterns of thinking and patterns of energy expenditure at lower levels than we experience consciously uh, build the foundation of what we then uh, uh, experience as significant and as painful or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be karma as we normally think of it. Because it's about this energetic inertia that we've built up through a pattern of thinking and behave, maybe behaving as well um, uh, for a long time, maybe past this life, but also in this life too. Like it all is part of the same uh, 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 vector of thought that we have in motion. And the point is that it's just thought so we can change it. Hmm. Energetic inertia. That's a that's a good word or you know i think using energy as kind of a hand wavy term for just things that fall into the remainder of the intellectual calculation of this stuff right mm-hmm. like it just doesn't balance in the intellectual equation and it doesn't have to but like looking at energy as this way of seeing uh referring to the greater unity that doesn't neatly fall into our uh in, into our ability to uh to, to think about this stuff very, very clearly. It mm-hmm. nevertheless is the case that it is uh, a, a reality that we have to, we have to grapple with, right? Mm-hmm. Hatan continues, karma is often good rather than bad. But further, it should be understood that the day-to-day, instid- um, the day-to-day incidents of your life are rather than karma a type of random number system which gives you a path in each situation in each day. You have your choices to make and they have not to do with karma but with love. Okay, another pause there. So interesting. Rather than karma, a type of random number system which gives you a path in each situation in each day. Hmm. I don't quite know what to make of that. I don't, I don't either. Uh, something I'll let have to let simmer for the next year. 
I, I can take a stab if it doesn't uh, throw the listener off too much. Uh, but when they say random number generator, I think maybe what they're referring to is the idea of random catalyst. Mm-hmm. Once, you know, if you have not made a uh, strong enough choice of polarity, it is true that the function of catalyst will be much more random mm-hmm. because you have not created the uh the, you have not chosen and oriented your mind towards a choice that then filters the catalyst coming in and picks out what's significant and what's not or how you're going to experience it as catalyst. Um, but I'm not sure that that is an idea that's directly related to karma. It may be, uh, but I'm not sure how that fits in. Maybe, uh, maybe there's an aspect of this that... You know, if even if you have made the choice, you still have options in any given situation. Mm-hmm. And maybe karma plays a role in which of those options you see as uh, workable, um, that you even see at all, right? Um, mm-hmm. That you are willing to invest in. Hmm. I'm guessing. I am yeah. totally guessing because no, I think it's a little cryptic. Sometimes it helps to guess and then guess again and then guess again. And then all of a sudden something might click, you know. <laughs> Yeah, if something clicks, we'll do another episode on this next week and just (laughs) go over it again. Go over whatever clicks. (laughs) Hatan finishes here in a longer paragraph. Frequently, the most difficult problems are indeed karmic. But they have to do with a relationship which was in some way unbalanced in a previous incarnation. In that case, we ask that you attempt with all your being to stop the wheel of karma. The way to do this is to forgive. Forgiveness is another word for love of that who see, oh, forgiveness is another word for love of that who seems to be an enemy. Hmm. To forgive completely is to remove karma from the situation. To love completely is to be free. To love it is truly said, is to conquer. Therefore, if you find a situation especially difficult, come out of your meditation with the question, how does this situation look now in the light of meditation? And with that tool of yours, which is perfectly good and for you to use, known as your mind, objectively and carefully search the situation for the lesson you are to learn. If you find it is karmic, then perhaps you know that which you must do. If you wish to progress as quickly as possible, seize that which you think you must do and do it, whatever pain it may cause you at the time. That's a good one. Uh, I really like this idea of instead of seeing karma as this outward thing occurring to you, putting you in an uncomfortable situation because you have some debt to pay. Instead, think of it as showing you an aspect of yourself that you need to bring into balance and then using meditation as a tool to, you know, to get to know that self that's creating the situation better. I have, I can attest to the fact that meditation is a problem solving tool. You can use Hmm. it. It's not, it's not the kind of thing where it's going to give you uh, an answer that you can immediately use right away. I mean, if it could, then uh, the problem wouldn't be as deep 
and as uh, insurmountable seeming as it is. Uh, the issue is that it reorients your mind. It puts things in perspective so that perhaps uh, something that seemed completely unlovable, uh, you know, before the 10 minute meditation you did at the end of it, you recognize that maybe you can't forgive completely, but you can see a part of yourself that could forgive. And you can work with that. And that's just one example of a way of thinking about how meditation can make, can reorient where you're standing. It can reorient kind of like how you feel about things because you've let go of that mind pattern that you've been generating hmm. that you don't realize perhaps, but you've been putting effort into generating. Mm -hmm. And that once it gets going a certain amount, it has inertia to it. I'm not saying that karma is just thought patterns. I think it's deeper than that. But the thought patterns are the things that we actually have a handle on. The thought patterns are a thing that we can actually influence. We can't influence other people. And we can't necessarily even relate directly to uh, the, the currents of past lives that have created the situation we're dealing with now. We have to, you know, I, this is a point where I really, uh, uh, a stoic philosophy appeals to me. Mm -hmm. In Stoic philosophy, there are things that you can control and there are things that you can't. And what you cannot control, you accept. But that means that you do take action and work with what you can control. Um, and it's a very empowering philosophy in that way uh, because once, you know, it, humans have an innate need uh, to feel like they have some sort of say in their experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like even even little babies, um, as they're coming into awareness, like it's scientists have found that it's what gives the babies the most joy is when they figure out that their actions actually affect the outer world. They make this connection between their action, their thought, their desire and this outward of, event that then uh they can keep doing it. They can reproduce it and they start to make it becomes workable, mm. right? Existence and being in a body becomes workable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that's a good way to think about karma, uh, that we don't we don't have full control over our experiences. Uh, you know, we're not designed to participate fully in this, in my opinion. But the things that we can participate in are things where the most learning, where, where there is even learning possible, right? Because mm -hmm. we work with things, we make little changes, we experiment perhaps with different ways of just thinking about ourselves, about another. And that's where things can kind of loosen up. And that inertia of thought can start to slow down a little bit. And then we start to see possibilities we didn't see before. Maybe that's what they mean by the random number generator. Once we've opened up, now we have the ability to make uh, choices that otherwise were closed to us. Mm -hmm. But while we were fixated on this one way of thinking about everything, those choices are not available. Hmm. Something that just struck me with the inertia in that you can work yourself into, how, how do I put it? A tissy? I don't know. Is that the right word? You can work yourself into a, an emotional state that you don't need to work yourself into with maybe it's a kind of a different form of inertia, but I think everyone is familiar. Well, I think Brene Brown calls it the shame spiral where you start, you just start with one negative thought and then you just take a step down and then you take another step down and you just work your way down into this negative spiral of, you just end up feeling terrible. And 
if you can recognize that you're headed into that shame spiral, you can hopefully uh, trigger a response and pull yourself out of it. But this reminds me of when you're dealing with someone, you're dealing with something difficult. You kind of have a choice to make. You, you can go left, or you can go right, or you can go up or you can go down. And maybe for me, for me, it's the first step is recognizing that I do have a choice. I can work myself up into the negative space, into the negative place, or I can think positively about it. I can try to show love to that person. I can try to see things from their perspective. I can tone down the, uh, I can tone down my ego a little bit and, uh, and I can try to take the positive path. But when you speak of inertia, that's also something that comes to mind, just the way you can work yourself into an emotional state that you don't necessarily have to. Yeah, these, uh, the, the nature of thought, it seems, is that it, thoughts can reinforce each other. And it seems that our ability to have coherent uh, intellectual experiences comes from this way that we create thoughts that reinforce each other and we build a whole system maybe without even necessarily doing it consciously. But then we have to work with that. Then we're stuck there um, until we change our mind, Mm -hmm. until we change our mind. And it's important to understand that if we do go there, if we do go down that shame spiral, that also teaches. Mm -hmm. It may be uncomfortable and unpleasant, but the idea that you're doing something wrong, I think is not correct. I think it's just that that's where you're at right now. That is... When you feel those negative emotions working on you, uh, that 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 grinding, that 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 disharmony within yourself, you know, one way to think about that is that it's not a punishment or some sort of like, well, this is what you get for thinking like that. You can think that way, I suppose, but like another way to think about it is that it's wearing down the parts of yourself that are crude and unrefined. Uh, it is putting friction on precisely the points of yourself that need work. It's drawing attention to it. That's a great This visual. is the way that, yeah, yeah. This is the way that the Confederation says reality works, is that it is not something that is an enemy that we are struggling to beat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is working hand in glove with us to promote our evolution. And wherever we're at in our head, no matter how deep down in the hole, that's where we're at. That's where we start. That's where everybody starts. Everybody digs themselves into these holes. The point is not to wallow in the hole and to feel like, oh, I must have done something to get here. That's a backward looking way that can be helpful sometimes. But the point is to do something about it. And many people try to do things about it and they don't necessarily make a lot of progress. And that's sad uh, Mm -hmm. because nobody wants to see people suffer just because they can't figure something out. And yet that's the whole point we're here. To a certain extent, all of us are suffering because we haven't figured ourselves out to a certain degree. We're not different than in, wherever you are in the shame spiral or in the lack of self-esteem or uh, inability to forgive others because you can't forgive yourself. Mm. I think that's a big part of karma, too, is uh, the lack of self-forgiveness yeah. that then plays out and gets pro- and that gets projected onto other selves. Oh, yeah. uh, but just understanding that that is an appropriate place for a human to be. Yeah. You don't, you don't stay there. Yeah. A couple things come to mind. First, a story, which I'll get into. <laughs> Second, um, you don't grow when you're comfortable. You don't improve 
You know, it's just like going to the gym and doing deadlifts. You're not going to get stronger by not doing deadlifts. <laughs> you got to lift heavy and then you, you stress your body, you stress your mind. And, you know, my brother taught me, he's got a graduate degree in, uh, in phys ed or kinesiology, but he taught me that a lot of strength gains that you make when you go to the gym are not in fact muscular in nature. They are, how do I say, neurophysical. Your brain learns how to more efficiently fire the muscle fibers that you already have. And there's only one way your brain's going to learn that. <laughs> and that's by getting it done, you know, lifting and stressing, stressing your body. So, um, it, yeah, it needs the feedback mechanism of what feels bad to like, yes, figure it out. Yes. And so it's, it's such a natural, it's, let's be honest. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. But if you can, if anytime you maybe get into that shame spiral or you get into that negative situation where you're stressed or you're, you're just, you're feeling, you're just feeling negative about others or whatever, you can take that feeling with a grain of salt and understand maybe with a little bit of hope that on the other end of this, if I can figure this out, I'm going to be stronger and happier and better and more loving. And you know, that, that feels good. I know that when my wife and I ever have a disagreement or maybe we're not communicating very well, I, I actually start to feel this first. I get really stressed out because I hate conflict. I don't know what person likes conflict, but I hate conflict. But at the same time I have in the back of my head, I know, Oh, but when we figure this out, we're going to be on another level of, we're going to be on the same page on a, on a different level. And I can't wait to get there. I just got to go through all this BS of like figuring out where I'm wrong, where we're not communicating well. And, you know, you have a really healthy way of dealing with conflict. That's awesome. I don't ever feel like when I'm arguing with my wife or with someone else, the thing that's top of mind is not, but I'm going to get over this. <laughs> I wish it was right. Like that would, that would make it a lot. Le uh, the thing that I focus on is there must be something wrong. Mm. There must be somebody here, something here must be wrong that's creating this conflict. And the bottom line is that like, you know, from a psychological point of view, we know conflict in and of itself is rewarding to the brain. Uh, the brain yeah. structure rewards That's conflict. why Facebook and Twitter are huge because they just feed that. That's why the news, if it bleeds, it leads, right? That's, yep. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They make their money off of that. And that's, you know, in a way you can look at it that as, uh, yeah, we're designed to take uh, lessons on head first, you know, like head on. Um, and that doesn't mean that we need to stay in conflict, though, right? Like it eventually mm -hmm. becomes exhausting. Yes. It eventually becomes something that isn't workable. And once it has an inertia of its own, it, it does seem to be unworkable. I use this term workable a lot because I, I, what I think is core to the Confederation's philosophy, also core to Buddhism too, it's this idea of the, the wisdom that's built into our experiences that we think are simply happening to us. But if we can get to the point in meditation where we recognize the role that we play in our experiences. This is very basic stuff. This isn't even really like spiritual and metaphysical. Sure. It's just recognizing the role that you play in your own experience. And then things become, you have choices. You, you are not stuck 
because things happened to you in the past. Maybe you need maybe the the degree of work that you need to do is more intense than other people. Mm -hmm. That's possible. But everybody's doing it's not an issue of quality difference. It's an issue of quantity difference. Mm -hmm. It's the same hole. We're all at different ledges on the bottomless hole, yeah. but we all are going in one direction. That's up. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. It's just a, it's a tough ladder to climb, you know? Yeah. But the story I wanted to talk about was regarding not just forgiveness of others, but forgiveness of yourself. And this lesson was a powerful lesson. And um, this, this story begins when I was in my early twenties, I dated this, this, uh, young woman for a few years and she, you know, at that point I thought she was the one I was going to marry. Um, just absolutely loved this woman, at least as, as much as I now looking back, um, it was an immature love, you know, going back a few episodes <laughs> to that Ayn Rand quote before, I can say, I love you. I must first be able to say I, well, looking back, I couldn't actually say I, there was no me, you know, but anyway, um, I was just head over heels, heels for this gal. And the long story short, we broke up in one of the worst ways, um, possible, you know, there was infidelity and I was just, so I was latched on to her in this relationship. I was kind of a clinger, <laughs> you can say, but the experience of losing trust and betrayal and all this stuff legitimately emotionally damaged me. Like I was, you know, I was a, I was a mess for a while until really until I met my current wife. And even my wife had to deal with me for a bit until I kind of, she helped rebuild me <laughs> in a very real way. So a fixer upper, she, she caught a fixer yeah. upper, but she succeeded, which I, which I appreciate yeah. for their patience. <laughs> But, you know, now looking back, I could say karmically, Ryan, do you forgive my ex? Do you forgive? Do I forgive her? You know what, Jeremy? It's not my place to forgive her because there's nothing to forgive her for. I need to forgive myself and I have forgiven myself because do you know what I did? you know, I hung on. She told me at certain points in our relationship that she thought it would be best if we split up and I didn't have the strength and the will to be like, you know what? You're right. I respect your decisions. I respect you. I held on so tight. I held on so tight and I got burned from my own actions. So just, you know, now I think about that often because when I was going through this, I, I was actually thinking to myself, I still love this gal. You know, there's still a love that is there. How do I forgive this person? But I was never able to forgive her until I realized, oh, I need to forgive myself for being the idiot or for, you know, for acting too emotionally and not being mature. And once I forgave myself, the need to forgive her didn't even, you know, it, it didn't even need to happen because she wasn't out to get me. She wasn't trying to hurt me. It was all my doing, you know? So that's just something I think about now when I'm going into more challenging situations with, with people who I think may be wronging me. It's like, okay, dude, dude, chill out. Take a step back. Is there something you need to look at within yourself first, you know? And then if that's clear, 
then I can look at how the, how the interaction is going from their point of view. Again, I think you're uh, way ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) I think that I uh, still, still can feel uh, unduly victimized by others and not recognize the role that I play in things. I think I'm getting better. And the more that I use meditation as a tool uh, and stop just using my uh, conscious mind, spin myself into uh, uh, states of affect that then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, reinforce those thoughts. And then, you know, it, it, it's it gets better. But, um, you know, I, I would say like a lot of my stuff on that are things that aren't necessarily very uh, personal. Um, I have a hard time forgiving certain uh, actors in the in the political world in the mm-hmm. in the you know, maybe uh, perceived disrespect at work, you know, like sure. just stuff like that, where it's like, you know, the stuff, the stuff between the people that I'm close to uh, has a long pedigree and wherever it's at, I mean, like it's going to, it's going to be there, you know, until I, it, it's, it's, it's like that because I've invested that into it and pulling that out is going to take time. And I'm working on that and I think I'm making good progress, but with uh, work relationships and uh, with relationships with people who claim to lead us, <laughs> mm-hmm. I just see such a cynicism, you know, such a uh, duplicity. I'm so cynical and as I, well. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it makes you cynical, right? As a defense mechanism. Uh, well, if you don't care, I don't care. And uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, but you know, like what I have been learning from the Confederation is that there is a way to play a positive role in all of these things that does not require me to be perfect. And it does not require me to be perfectly balanced. All it requires is for me to be willing to see that choice that I didn't see before. And slowly over time, um, meditation has built in me the desire to see a different choice. It doesn't mean I always choose it, right? Mm -hmm. But once you have a choice, now the conflict is not out there, right? The conflict's in here. And now it's workable. Now uh, oh there's gosh. something that can be really grappled, like like grappled grappled onto and like uh, held onto. That sir, does that make sense? That is <laughs> that is gold, and I want to repeat that because that just really rung a bell in my own. Okay, you have to repeat it. I don't remember. Soul. <laughs> when you go into conflict, the conflict is external. Once you realize you have a choice that conflict then becomes internal and it's something you have power over and you can work on right now. You know, I look at the political landscape in the U S and I am, you said cynical, that word is perfect. I just don't, I don't believe anything that comes out of a politician's mouth, even whether they're quote unquote on my team or not. I just, I just don't believe it anymore, you know, but within, in that is conflict. But once I realize there, I have a choice can I still live my life day to day? Can I still love my family and go to work? And, you know, can I still, the moment you internalize whatever it is that you're dealing with, that gives you some sense of power. You still have a, you still have a choice about how you react to certain stresses, situations, whatever it is. So that, um, just love the way you articulated that. Once you realize you have a choice, you internalize the conflict. Well, well, the idea, the idea behind that is that I think that a lot of what strikes us in our lives as uh, problematic 
that trap that makes us feel trapped, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I am now, I am forced to go through feeling these feelings. Uh, There's this idea that they're happening to us and that we don't participate in them. And there are many, many, many schools of thought that talk about the power of perception, the creative, it is, it is magic, but it's not magic in the way people think. Because uh, those of Ra describe magic as uh, the ability to change your consciousness at will. Mm. Your consciousness, which involves your perception, it is about that's what's magic is that you, uh, uh, perception is a creative act. So we have a lot more power than we realize, but it is reinforcing to us to um, put all that power out there and say, these people aren't going to change. Why should I change? If they're fixed, then my response to them has to be fixed. And you have to go through, you have to be worn down a little bit, right? Mm. It does seem like that. Mm -hmm. You need emotions to kind of like grind up against that. And eventually you're like, I don't want this grinding anymore. And right at that point, you know, now you've started, now you can turn things around. And it's important to realize that there are people who are trapped in their own emotions and their own thought patterns. And from outside, they may not even seem to care to change. And you know what? That just means they need a little bit more time in the gym, right? They mm. need to grunt and groan and and because it's not about us, right? For them, it's about them. Yes. They have people they need to forgive, including themselves. Yes. Just like we do. We're no different. Wow. We are no different. This is this is just so boiling down my thoughts about all of this that our journeys through life it really is about ourselves what can we change within ourselves, you know? And I have, I mean, I have plenty of friends that they want to change the world, but they could kind of care less about how they can improve themselves. And the more we talk, the more it just solidifies in my own head for better or worse, that the work is internal. And perhaps that is how, well, I think there's a truth in that the quickest way to change the world is to change your perception of it, you know? Um, Yep. Because we create our own reality. I think I've heard it said that the world doesn't exist as it is. It exists as you perceive it. Yes. You know, so if you, uh, yeah, the work is all internal and that's so powerful. And how, but, and how empowering is that? You know, it's challenging. Yeah. You've got to grunt and groan, as you said, sweat it out, build, build this emotional, spiritual, physical muscle, but you have the power. You have the power. Yeah. And it's not just about, conflict, right? It's about learning. The conflict is kind of like a byproduct of a lesson that hasn't been learned yet. But the point is not to have the conflict. The point is to learn the lesson. Yes. The conflict is a signal. Yeah. The conflict is a signal that there's a lesson here to be learned. And maybe this is the, maybe this is the, um, uh, the the thing I'm I'm close to understanding. I, listeners, I told Jeremy I feel like I'm on the cusp of some kind of understanding here with this whole concept. But if I could boil it down to where I'm at right now, it's that if we're here to learn the lessons of love, and in the great scheme of things, we all come from that central source, and we start that journey in darkness, in separation, and the goal is to move back to that source of unity and love. These lessons teach us how it is to love. And how do you express that you've learned the lesson of love? It's that you're able to forgive. 
And if you're not able to forgive, well, maybe you've got some karma that's going to move from incarnation to incarnation so that you can learn the lessons of love, which again, you show through forgiveness. Um, but you have to have something to forgive first. You, you have to have true. a weight in order to be able to press it, right? That is ooh, good point. Good point. So it's all about this functional way of looking at our experience. Yeah. If we look at it, if we look at ourselves as creators, co-creating with all these other creators in a universe that's no matter where we look, it's all creator, then there is no conflict. It is just a and in some ways, dispassionate process of the creator, uh, the subset of the creator that you are, the biases, the unique parts that 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 you represent of the creator. It's about what is that circle back from the creator to the creator, that journey through the things that are not the creator, right? The things that are uh, less than the full knowledge of the creator. Mm-hmm. What does that journey look like? That is why I believe we are in the position that we are in just generally is that our journey away from the creator through first, second, third, all the densities, and then back to the creator is a time dilated by time version of the creator in a moment, recognizing something about itself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. outside of time, the creator is exploring itself. We are that kind of, you can think of it as a metaphor of we're that neuron of the creator's brain mm. that, that mm. like experience that one aspect of itself. And we, because we are experiencing it as a separate entity, are experiencing time and this progression that the creator, I believe, experiences immediately, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting point. It's already healed. That's And that's, that's the point uh, that should be comforting to us is that All of this is already healed. It's just a matter of opening up to that. Oh, because it's already, we already know where it ends. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. I think my brother told me once I was working through a problem and he's like, Ryan, why are you working through this problem? The answer is already out there. Like just Google it or just, you know, um, recognizing that the answers are already there, that we've already worked through this, that the solution is there. It's just, it's up to you to find it, you know, right. Just dis- dis- rediscover it. You know, it, it's, it's like, instead, if your brother said, Oh, keep working on it because you know, the answer's out there, you know, you, you know, it's out there and you know, you will get to it eventually. Mm. So, so mm. hang in there, like <laughs> you'll keep working on it. Cause you may find out an aspect of it that nobody else knows about. That's true. That's true. And I've, I've certainly done that in my job, like reinvented the wheel you know, yeah. just to, just to understand how a wheel is made, so to speak, you know, trust me in software, we do that all the time. <laughs> really? And that's how you learn. It is how you learn. Remember it's functional. There's no inherent meaning in these conflicts necessarily, other than their usefulness to the creator and understanding itself. Mm. That's mm. it. And all, and then that is why, uh, the confederation is always uh, expressing to us uh, the amount of joy that they feel like we should be feeling, right? Like how free and liberated. Um, I mean, from their point of view, like we're stuck in this, you know, prison of flesh, like this, this, this material uh, experience. But at the same time, we can actually make progress on things that they can't make progress on. Like we're in the fast lane. Uh, yes. According to them, like we are, 
Like not everybody was allowed, not all the souls that could come were allowed to come. Yes. I particularly enjoy a recent, um, a recent transcript reading again on the living love and light where I, I think it's just Carla and someone named S it's just two people channeling. I think this just came out on Sunday. It did. Or Saturday. It just came out. And Hatan, Carla's wondering why this entity named Moses is contacting her, you know? And Hatan says, well, um, Moses is a part of, is one of your spirit guides or one of your guides because Hatan lays out the story, you know, that essentially that Carla and S and others are wanderers and they're here with a mission from the Confederation and, um, one of the first mentions of wanderers at all, I think. It's, yeah, oh yes, it's one of the, um, it is, but they don't use the word wanderers. They don't use the word wanderers, but we know what they're but talking we about. we know what they're talking about. You know, funny enough, David Bowie is a wanderer. They bring that yeah. up like in the 76 or something, you know. <laughs> they, they called him an apple. And I've seen this term used by other groups, mm-hmm. uh, apple or like an apple seed, mm. almost like Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, I do remember them saying... Um, that he is what this instrument would call an apple. I'm like, huh, I haven't heard that one before. I mean, I know the intent. I know what they meant, but it's it. like, uh, the Confederation <laughs> recognizes a few forms of their influence on third density. One is, uh, their, uh, their sort of subtle subconscious contact with sending vibrations and ideas and stuff. Uh, subconsciously, one of them is conscious contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is, uh, investiture. So in uh, the raw contact, uh, they talk about how third density can invest oh, second yeah. density mm-hmm. places, animals, and plants with um, a a kind of um, uh, a clothing of third density personalityness. We mm-hmm. give them individuality, like they say, the pet relationship is a version of that, right? Yeah, we make our pets third density individuals by investing them with our imagined personality for them, and they take it on. And they learn what it means to be individual. Um, so that's one way that it happens. And then the ultimate way is for them to take on the mantle of third density of the separation of the conscious from the subconscious with the veil mm-hmm. and to come in and experience life on the same terms that everybody else does with no memory other than whatever biases they bring with them that they have to explore on their own. And so there's all these different ways that uh, there is this intercourse between higher densities and and, and us. And uh, so just seeing it as a continuum, mm-hmm. um, I think is really helpful because it makes the wanderer not such a special thing. I think it's very important that wanderers not be seen as some sort of hero. They are not yes. special. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. It's a very good point. They are, they are, they are, we are at a location other people will be at that location in either in the future or they have been in the past. Mm-hmm. It's not that special. Mm-hmm. What's special is what do we uniquely bring? And you don't need to be a wanderer to try to figure that out. That's true. That You can be completely third density and still figure out how to bring love into the world and, you know, make others' lives better. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, uh, the, the sense that I get from a lot of the channeled messages is that the native population of Earth is doing pretty good in co- getting the fourth density. Mm-hmm. It's all of these stragglers from the other 
third density planets that have been uh, delinquent students over and over through third density cycles that are holding the planet back. Mm. And, you know, they're probably going to the, the, the great thing is that this time they're not going to hold the planet back. They're going to have to go somewhere else. Um, and there's going to be a bunch of people who have not made the choice and who need to repeat. And Earth is not going to be the appropriate place for them because Earth is going fourth density. Yeah. That's a whole other fun conversation about what will that be like, you know? I just can't stay on topic, Ryan. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's it's one thing that I've been thinking about lately is uh, what what will that be like? Because even today, there are plenty of people who who I'm gonna I'm gonna spitball this people who are in a service to others path or who are positively polarizing, but the way they express that might be seen by others as not a positive, you know, not positive, like general MacArthur, you know, I think in the raw contact, they say general MacArthur, you know, ended up at the end of the incarnation, polarizing more uh, positive. You know, you could make the argument that being a leader of the military where you're responsible for killing people is not necessarily, you know, not necessarily a, a positive polarization position. Sorry for the alliteration, but but yeah. um, anyway, I'm uh, I love thinking about that stuff. But but getting back, it's a to, lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And there are some recent channelings from Quo mm -hmm. that talk in more detail about what they think fourth density on Earth will be like. Hmm. And um, yeah, go go hmm. look at some of the uh, transcripts from the 2018 era. Okay. Um, there's there's some interesting stuff where they talk about you know what institutions that we recognize are part of our kind of planet and will be the institutions that come forward with us to fourth density. Oh, interesting. And which won't, right? Hmm. Interesting. I'll check that out. Yeah. Um, getting back to karma, let's get back to one of these transcripts here. This was a recent one that was uh, published on Living Love and Light. This is from July fifth. 1979. And Oxel is here addressing questions. Um, Carla is channeling. Uh, someone named N asks, as far as karma goes, what makes somebody have to turn back, reincarnate again to work something out, you know, that they didn't work out before? How major a situation does it have to be? Or is it with everything? Would it be as if you stepped on a bug? Would you have to come back and make that up, you know, work it out or something? Or is it just major things or minor things? That's the question. Oxel responds, I am Oxel, and we are aware of your question. However, it is best to deal with karma, not as your people have dealt with it, as lawyers attempting to balance the case in court, or accountants attempting to total the debits and credits. For we are dealing here not with actions, but with thought. I'm going to pause there. Not with actions, with thought. Well, th actions come from thought. Yes. <laughs> yes. Before, before you act, there's a thought there. Or even if you don't think that you're thinking, it's the, it's the, pre-programming from all of your other thoughts and, and experiences that, that translates into your actions. And we can take it even deeper because it is thought chiefly that results in the blockages and overstimulations of our energy centers. 
And those energy centers, as the energy flows from our red ray chakra up to our crown, the way that it gets filtered by our thoughts, by our inability to accept certain parts of the creator as that energy flows through us, creates our unique signature of thought of how we'll act. Like it is thoughts that block things. And so it is thoughts that have to be worked with in order to unblock things. Hmm. It also makes me think dealing with thoughts rather than actions that again, going back to one of our early episodes, earlier episodes, intent matters, you know, and you might, and I think they're going to bring this up here. Um, here, I'll, I'll just read it. Uh, as uh, Oxel continues, a person is as he thinks that is reality. His actions are the fruit of his thoughts. There are accidents which do not carry karma. And there are seeming accidents which carry heavy karma due to the fact that there was thought behind the action not evident to the world. In other words, the way that I understand that, there was intent to do harm. You know, maybe again, going back to that that woman who broke my heart, you know, in my 20s, she didn't mean, it. she wasn't evil, you know, she didn't intend to destroy me emotionally you know that was kind of my own <laughs> was my own problem and hence there's again i go back there's nothing to forgive her for if there was intent if someone is out there to actually hurt me then that is a karmic action but then i might have something to forgive them for correct yeah actually i think i think like this just like i, I see the wisdom of your example um, because, uh, oh, I just had it, uh, <laughs> like, uh, shoot, I forgot. That's okay. I, I had this thought in my head. That's okay. Uh, but I really like the way that you explained that. Um, oh yeah. Uh, it's like, uh, it was your like sort of like underlying way of looking at the experience that created any perception that there was anything forgivable at all. Once you changed that, you realized that the situation had a different character than you necessarily attributed to it. And then things become workable, right? And it's like uh, that karma may or may not be an aspect of the way that you think about something, right? Like it's possible to have thoughts that don't create karma. And like it's getting to know yourself and getting familiar with the the entity that is creating all of this experience that you sort this out yes because if there are things that you need to work on that it's important for you to go through that karma like that's the thing like we're not trying to avoid karma that's mm. in my opinion a kind of roundabout way of thinking about it the point is to balance what karma comes to us because that's why it exists the inertia exists to be slowed down mm. The inertia exists to draw your attention to something that needs to be worked on. We have, if we're going to make sense of Confederation philosophy, it has to be thought of as a functional philosophy. And that we, instead of being the subjects of the philosophy, right? We're the subjects of our own experience. Actually, Confederation philosophy seems to suggest that we are not, or at least the, the, the limited selves that wake up in the morning, go through experience and go to sleep are not the true subjects of experience. Mm -hmm. The total self is the subject of experience. And it's in getting to know that total self that the pieces start to fall into place. 
Mm. Until you know that total self, it does, in fact, I think, seem like random crap happening to you. I want to. And as well, it should. Yeah. You don't know the setting for that random crap happening. I w- Not the real setting. I want to throw out a, and I, I want to posit an idea here. Imagine. So, again, going back to the way that we as a culture look at karma, that it's some type type of punitive measure. Um when you wrong someone on purpose, well, that's negative karma that you've got to come back and fix in the future, in, in another incarnation. I want to posit an idea. Say you go through life and you never intentionally hurt another person. You still may have to come back and do it all over again and again and again if you can't learn how to forgive Others who have wronged you, if you just wear that grudge, if you got that chip on your shoulder, you could be the nicest person. But if you hold on to that grudge, you've got to learn how to offload that. You have to learn how to forgive. It's there's like two sides to the coin. You know, there's two sides to the karma coin. At the point of experiencing the unity of creation through this dualistic lens that we seem to be stuck in is not to just experience one side of the coin. That would be ridiculous. Mm. The point is to have the experience of going to the other side and having the balance of stuff. And in the experience of doing that, becoming part of the whole, recognizing the wholeness of yourself. Yes. How you are not trapped. You are not, you are here because you want to be here. And you are having these experiences that create karma because you want to learn. Maybe not the you that is uh, listening to this podcast right now, but a deeper you that is possible to be found in meditation. And that will, once you tap into that, um, there is a significance to life. There is a, uh, a, a function to life that becomes so much deeper than just trying to go to work and keep up with the family and all that. Like all of those things are part of a well-lived life. But, uh, if we look at them expecting to get the maximum we can out of them and give the minimum, like some people do, like I, like sometimes I do, uh, then we're just not using it to its, to its full potential. And so if, if, if we're not using it to its full potential, we can't grow. And frankly, you know, even from a limited point of view, if we can't grow, then we're not going to be there for the others that we love in our life the way that we want to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oxel. Oxel continues here again, July 5th, 1979. It is possible for you as being at this very moment to forgive in your heart all those who have hurt you with such strength that you may stop the karma forever for them. It is possible also for you to take the karma of others, but we do not advise this for you have your own destiny to work out and that is enough of a job for you. That, what do you think that means to take on the karma of others? Any idea? Well, the thing, the thing that, uh, that comes immediately to mind is the Christian concept of Jesus taking on the sin of the world. Hmm. Now, I don't know if that has a lot of basis in confederation thought. Uh, I, I do, there, there's a possibility that it has to do with getting involved in the pre-existing karma of another and kind of making it your own by being a part of that experience that the other person is having. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, that doesn't seem to be very useful <laughs> um, because, you know, it, 
at the end of the day, a person's karma is part of their own experience and their own perception. But like, hey, you know, there's lots of possibilities out there. I don't I don't discount the idea that, you know, I could help through. Maybe maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Through uh, forgiving another, you plant a seed. And that seed is part of what convinces a person that they can slow down the inertia of their own karma. I wish I had prepared this for this episode, but there's a story of a woman whose son was murdered and she forgave the murderer and visited him very often in prison. She built a relationship with her son's murderer. And this guy completely turns around. Um, And if I understand the story correctly, they spend a lot of time after he gets out of prison um, talking with people about the power of forgiveness, love and forgiveness. I'm going to try to find that story because it's it's a powerful story because I don't know as a father how you can possibly forgive someone for doing that. But um, that's a powerful story. That is a powerful story. I'm going to try to find it and throw it in the show notes because it was a great story. Yeah, I think I've heard this story too, and it is powerful. And it just goes to show you that, you know, this is like I said to you the last time, right? Like, you don't know if you could do it, but actually you do because you've seen another part of yourself do it in this story. Mm-hmm. Like, it is possible. It's not a question of it being possible or impossible. The question is, what is you, the unique creator that is you, how are you going to work with that? What are you going to teach the creator about itself through your choices on that? Mm -hmm. And you know what? Not forgiving teaches just as much. Yeah. I think that's an interesting way of putting it. What are you going to teach the creator about itself? That's a, that's a fun little concept. (laughs) It it actually seems kind of heavy. And I was just thinking like, wow, that's a lot to put on the listener. (laughs) Well, you know, it's a, you know, baby steps and you have an infinite number of entities learning an infinite number of lessons. So it's like, yeah, you just, I'll, I'll chip in, you know, I'll chip into that pool of lessons. Well, I, I think it's also an issue of the responsibility that that confers upon a person. And, you know, there is an aspect to, uh, learning about yourself, learning, uh, to take, uh, responsibility for yourself and for your own perception, for your own spiritual growth, for the forgiveness that we all, that's incumbent on all of us, uh, in order to, uh, move forward, Mm -hmm. uh, that is responsibility. And a lot of what I think keeps people sleeping and not making the choice, not waking up to the creative potential of their lives is that that confers upon them a responsibility then. Now the starter gun has been fired and now they have to run and maybe they won't run the way that they think they will. So it puts it to the test and it's heavy. It is heavy. And again, it makes me think of Carla's book, Living the Law of One, The Choice. And once you get on that capital G game board, the game changes, you know, the game changes. And it's a little, it's funny I constantly say it's it's empowering because I, I really believe that. But it's a bit more this I don't want to say the stakes are higher, but the the uh with greater power comes greater responsibility. It, yes, Uncle Ben. <laughs> 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 yes. Yeah. Um yeah, that's what it is. It just it feels like I have to hold myself to a higher standard 
And in that, it's like, oh, it's like the difference between when I was a music teacher versus when I was a music performer. Um, mm-hmm. When you're a teacher, yeah. you not only own your own game, you've got to own the game of all of your students. And the, it's much, it's a, there's a higher standard for what you're responsible for. But if you can learn to do it with joy, if you can put the anxiety aside and say, I'm willing to forgive myself if I mess up. I'm willing to pick myself up and try again, no matter how many times it takes. Mm-hmm. Now you've tapped. You don't have to look at it as this like heavy responsibility. You can instead see it as this great challenge. And what's at stake? That you suffer? Okay. Like there's a certain point at which, I mean, even boredom can function this way, right? You become so bored that you're like, you know what? I don't care if I, you know, end up failing at this job and get fired and I'm out on my butt. I need something to sink my teeth into. Mm-hmm. We, that that desire to grow is at the root of all of our desires. It, the Confederation says that all of our conscious desires at some level are tied back to this desire to return to the creator and to do the growth and the learning that makes that possible. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the idea is if you can get, if you can tap into that inner desire uh, and align with the direction that the universe is already flowing in, uh, then it doesn't have to be this heavy thing or the heaviness can be part of the fun of it, right? The heaviness and the consequence of it can be part of the fun instead of the thing that makes us not want to do it. Huh. That's an interesting point because if I don't have a a mountain to climb, so to speak, then I am generally unhappy. I, you know. Me too. I, yeah, I'm just generally unhappy. There's got to be some big goal I'm trying to work for, whether it be intellectual or physical, or I guess now it's kind of spiritual, even though that's kind of fuzzy, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, But that resonates, you know. Yeah, the, the the idea that a lot of the comfort that modern society has been able to generate for its citizens, I don't say it's perfect, but it is significant compared to, say, a thousand, uh, five thousand years ago, uh, the amount of luxury compared to that, that all of us enjoy. Um, you know, the Confederation has said that part of the reason for that was to give us time in the in 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 security so that we can ask these deeper questions so we can start our seeking process not just as this uh physical worldly metaphor right or like stand in Mm -hmm. because spiritual you know spiritual learning does take place in things that don't seem spiritual Mm -hmm. i fully acknowledge that but it's our participation that allows us to be able to make the choice and and proceed Mm -hmm. it's 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 grabbing uh the reins and saying, for better or for worse, I have now decided that I am in charge of this and I need to try, I need to be part of driving this forward. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to let the universe act upon me until uh, uh, you know I find something. I am going to process that I've already found it, that the universe has already exposed this in me. And you know, if you've listened to the podcast this long, you're probably one of those people who's uh, looking for how to engage with the energy of the of your life that's already going on. And uh, it's an attitude. It is a temperament. It is not some great uh, uh, revelation uh, uh, of a choir singing and a light uh, piercing through the you know sunbeams piercing through the clouds. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be that. I guess. It I mean, I cool, guess it, but... that's what it was like for Paul, right? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes it happens that way. Uh, but uh, it is 
the fact that he prepared himself in a, some sort of like attitudinal way, right? Mm-hmm. Like the experiences he had led him to that. The experiences that he had in the past, the learning he had in the past made that possible. In fact, maybe he would experience that as just some weird thing if he wasn't ready for it. And are you ready? Hmm. Are you ready? Like you get to the side. And anytime, this is something I've uh, worked with a lot based on my readings of uh, Confederation philosophy is that you get to decide on a moment by moment basis whether you're ready. It's never a permanent choice. Sometimes people just back off. I know I have before, just back off and like come back to it when you're ready. Like it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but who says it's ever going to be easy, right? The question is, is do you have it within you to push the ball forward or not? And both are valid choices. Both are valid ways to live a human life and since we know where everything ends, where's the pressure? Yeah. There's no judgment What's call. What's at stake? There's no judgment yeah. call on uh, on that choice that you're making. They're all, they're all valid. They're all valid. So relax into yourself. Relax into who you really are. And let that be your lodestone. Let that be your guide. Mm-hmm. Oxel continues here. Talking about karma, answering a question about karma. Thus, you are here to be a loving being. Those whom you meet may be accidents. They may be intentional. It does not matter, for this is the lifetime you are living now. And the actions which are the fruits of your thoughts at this time are the karma that you collect now. As to canceling out the karma of your own previous mistakes, we can only suggest that you analyze each thought that you may have and find if it is positive. Um, I'm sorry, that was weird. Uh, analyze each thought that you may have and find if it is positive, if it is of service to yourself or to another, if it is of disservice to yourself or another, if it denies the Creator, if it shuts out the sunlight, if it grasps illusion, unhappiness, want, limitation, need and pain as reality. Stop and meditate on love. That is the end of karma, for the law of love is far greater than the law of cause and effect, just as the law of eternity is greater than the law of time and process. And Oxel finishes, Do not linger in the river of your life, but move onward to the sea, dissolving yourself in love. In this way, karma ceases to become your reality, and your love may be freely taken and freely given with forgiveness to all men for all things. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, very nice. Um, and very consonant with what I was just saying. So it was. <laughs> it was. If I had known any better, I'd say you just read the paragraph ahead and then repeated it, but... But you hey, didn't. I can so only was... have a certain amount of windows open on my computer at one time here. <laughs> yeah. One thing I'd like, um, in the raw contact, Don asks Ra about karma and Jesus. And I think Ra says that, well, Jesus, on accident when he was a little kid, killed a playmate of his and, you know, felt terrible, went on the spiritual journey. But the karma was alleviated when he was on the cross and he said, forgive them, Father, 
for they know not what they do. In that act of forgiving the people who were killing him, alleviated any karma he might have accrued by perhaps killing a, a, a playmate of his when he was uh, when he was younger. Yeah, and it's you know from a cruder point of view, it just seems like you know he experienced himself what he did to another, like. Yes. But it also shows you that like these things that balance karma are balancing the energy that's behind the karma, the thought that's behind the karma. They don't have to be like perfect one-on-one stand-ins. That's why forgiveness works. Forgiveness ties in, it taps into that energy, to that thought quality. And it works with that. Whether it is an outward act of forgiveness that is sort of bound up with a particular relationship, or it is a generalized uh, releasing of a sense of wrongness that comes from, you know, uh, uh, just thought patterns that you've had and changing those thought patterns. The point is, it's that it's the underlying energy and underlying thought that makes it karmic and that gets alleviated. Mm. And the actions are just reflections of this, right? The actions are just the particular ways that the, that, that, that energy manifests into reality. But more and more, the Confederation seems to be suggesting that we need to work with this energy in the primary way. And if we can work with that energy and that thought in the primary way, then everything in our lives starts to reflect that inward process of thought and energy work. And it becomes less this confusing puzzle that we then have to reinterpret, right? Mm-hmm. Here is a curveball. I'm not sure... I hope you have a good answer for this, or at least an interesting answer, because I have zero answer for this. How does karma relate to the service to self path? Because if you have Genghis Khan responsible for conquering the greatest swath of land ever held by an empire and the murder and the torture, how does karma square how come Genghis Khan didn't have to, it's almost like there's a tipping point. <laughs> like if you get that far to one side, that's just your path. But if you're, if you don't reach that tipping point again, like Hitler, Hitler didn't reach that complete service to self, um, graduation. So he, maybe he's got, he's got to figure out how to alleviate the karma that he, that he generated. But if you're Genghis Khan, then it's cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's like certain wires can handle the voltage and others get burned out by it, Yeah, right? yeah. You have to be a certain gauge in order to be able to handle that voltage and that gauge being like a metaphor for the polarity. Um, so this is the part where I say, hey, listeners, this is just a way to think about it. It's not the thing itself, mm-hmm. right? This is a thought construct that Jeremy is putting out there that helps him intellectualize this stuff. But remember, the truth of it is not intellectual. Mm. The truth is something we feel. So don't take this, take this with a huge grain of salt because it's just me speculating. But remember that, uh, uh, that, that Hatan, I believe from last episode where it talked about the breaking service to others is working with the direction towards the creator, Mm -hmm. the flow towards the creator. And the service to self entity is kind of like applying the brakes. And in doing so, it's building up a kind of friction. Mm -hmm. They call I mean, that's a metaphor, right? But use the metaphor to let your mind uh, uh, sink into the underlying 
basis of all of this thought, all of this talk. That energy that's built up by through an act of will and through an act of immensely focused desire, pulling back from the creator and breaking and creating this friction, this energy, I think that is actually the energy that is used to push past the heart in fourth density negative. Hmm. Otherwise, you would be having this huge gap in your energy system. They use an act of intense will and intense desire to route around that and to tap into the negative side of the creator that is immensely powerful, evidenced by this friction that they build up by resisting what is otherwise the natural flow of things. And so where this ties into karma for me is that I think karma is one of the ways that that friction is created. They actually mm. use imbalanced karma as an engine for further negative polarization. They use it as a way to double down on separation. Remember, mm. like what forgiveness is, is a recognition of the unity with the person that you originally uh, did not forgive. So if you empower that separation and intensify it and use it as, well, I'm just going to like, you know, screw over everybody and just like, it's almost kind of like uh, some occult traditions uh, that talk about some sort of like blood sacrifice or like huge atrocity committed uh, that then magically empowers uh, them and gives them a power just by the sheer audacity and uh, horribleness Mm -hmm. of it. Like we have to, we have to keep in mind uh, that the 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 creator blinks neither at the light nor the dark, according to those of Ra. That we live in a universe, a three hundred and sixty degree universe, and all of that stuff that we consider to be negative or evil, or bad or whatever, that is the creator as well. Mm-hmm. Part of uh, polarizing to service to others is to recognize that. The service of self path is also part of the self and that the only resistance that needs to happen is a resistance that is uh, holding them off from completely like capturing you, like recognizing your own will and your own free will. Um, That's really the only kind of like thing you need to do to like not completely accept them in the first place, because in, in the law of one, this is this is kind of a weird part, but like they talk about in fourth density that uh, service to self and service to others often fight a kind of battle mm-hmm. because they don't know the wisdom of not fighting, mm. or at least the service to, service to others side does not have the wisdom to refrain from battle, I think is the way that they put it. And I think the reason is, is when you open up the heart and you recognize like how awful it is that people are bypassing the heart and nevertheless are able to gain, gain great power from it, right? That's very, uh, even in fourth density, I think that's very tough to deal with. It's not until you get to fifth density that you recognize how much that is part of a unified creation and that you are not, you don't have to be vulnerable to that. Mm. The more that you know yourself, the more that temptations and threats uh, don't seem to threaten the thing that you really know yourself as. Um, I So to tie this back to karma, I think that karma is this way that we can use uh, either we can use uh, a temporary uh, inability to recognize the creator as either a learning opportunity to recognize the creator or to completely obliterate the creator mm. and uh, center ourselves 
and uh, uh, just use all of the pain that it creates as an energy source uh, to gain more power. I suppose that explanation makes a, a good level of sense. It makes sense. And I think of um, if talking with Oxel saying here, this is about thought, not necessarily about action. It's the thought behind the right. action. And from my own experience, I'm, I'm going to guess that I'm on the service to others path, whether or not I'm there, I don't know, but I know I have no interest in accruing power for myself or enslaving others, you know, and I'm going to take that those feelings of guilt that I might have about maybe how I treated others is that, that thought inside me that I'm not, that there's some forgiveness that needs to be had, or there's some, there's some conflict there that needs to be resolved. But that guilt there is a thought that there's some incongruency between the service to path, service to others path that I'm going down and my current actions. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw out an idea that maybe if you're on service to self, that guilt doesn't really exist, you know, because it's all, it really, you know, murder isn't murder. If you like, if that other person isn't a person to you. Right. Another way of thinking about it is that you have the guilt in potentiation, but it's not actualized, right? Like the full self. Mm. I mean, the, the uh, those of Ra talk about uh, for service to self entities, uh, one of the first separations that they achieve is with their higher self. Mm. They have separated themselves even from the master plan of their incarnative experience wow. because uh, they want to take control of it. Mm-hmm. And they can. You can do that through an act of will, it seems. Maybe I'm specu- I'm over-speculating, but that does seem to like... I remember they talk about uh, Heinrich Himmler. Mm-hmm. Heinrich Himmler. And they talk about uh, how... Uh, what is the first separation? Self from self. Like, he's not in touch with his higher self. Mm-hmm. The whole point is to not be in touch with your higher self, but to be the separate self. Yeah. Because the higher self would be a... A vector to, I mean, maybe the higher self does participate in some programming, but you're not identifying with it, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I'm getting super speculative uh, now. Yeah, but it's fun but to like, think this about. This is what's really fun about this philosophy, uh, not just, uh, you know, treating people nice, but also like thinking about the possibilities of existence and the possibilities for experience and for being, right? Yeah. I can't remember where I heard this. I don't know if it was in the raw contact or just commentary about the raw contact, but the fact that many service to self individuals are not necessarily tyrannical, evil. They are, they're quite attractive in, you know, they're very cunning. They could completely be narcissistic, but it's not like they're out there just murdering people left and right. They're very, the word escapes me, but I think, honestly, I think about a lot of politicians that are very coy and they're very smooth and silver snake tongued, you know, um, they're likable, you know, they are very likable and it's easy to get drawn in. One thing that, that sticks with me is when Ross states that with the service to self path, you become enslaved by choice or you become enslaved of free will, that it is your choice to serve that master who then helps you serve. It makes me think I've got a story here. Um, I, I knew a guy a while ago who was a speech writer for David Petraeus, General David Petraeus. This guy was wicked smart, super kind. Um, he was in the Navy and one of 
Petraeus's, uh, I don't know if it, like team leaders, or you could say maybe chief of staff talked to this guy and laid it out for him. He said, or she said to him, general Petraeus is going to use you for all that you're worth. He's going to take your ideas, use them as his own. He's going to take all of the credit for things you do. And he's going to do that for two years, but understand when that two years is done, he is going to give back and help you make that next step in your career, whether it be a letter of recommendation, you know, so on and so forth. But he's pretty much laying it out. Don't expect to get credit for anything for the next two years because it all goes to the general, you know. Um, and this guy of his own free will said, okay, I'll make that deal. And that's not right or wrong, positive or negative. I'm just laying that out as an example that he was choosing to serve another for an extended period of time of his own free will. I don't really like Star Wars, but I Blasphemy. think the way that they <laughs> <laughs> But I think the way that they describe the Sith relationship, there's always a master and there's always a student, mm -hmm. and they're both kind of like vying to outmanipulate the other, but they recognize that they need this dynamic tension between them in order for either of them to move in the direction that they want. I think this is very much uh how service to self relationships work. It's that it is one of mutual use, mm -hmm. mutual treating people as means rather than ends. And um, this plays into uh, what Ra talks about with uh, service to self social memory complexes, um, where there is, there's basically always a top dog and there's a hierarchy of people below them. And they're always fighting to move up the hierarchy. And, where they are in the hierarchy is the power relationship at that point. In fourth density, it's even more clear because you can't hide your thoughts from each other. So mm. everybody kind of knows where everybody Ooh. stands. Uh, they don't have to accept it, but they do know they in that lack of acceptance is what creates the frustration and the building of the energy that then allows them to fight and to hone their anger. Um, but uh, I think that happens a lot in our society because we are so hierarchically organized. It doesn't have to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think uh, fourth density positive social memory complexes are probably also hierarchical. The problem, is, the, the difference is that you can switch levels easily. Mm -hmm. One time you can have a top dog and then, oh, you're best at this situation. Now you're the top dog, right? Because everybody trusts each other and accepts each other. The hierarchy can reconfigure as needed. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, in service to self, the hierarchy needs to stay fixed in order for you to have your position and your security relative to everybody else. And then you fight over that, right? Hmm. That's how I view it as kind of a like a metaphysical, political concept. Because uh, since I'm interested in politics, I've, I've, I've done some thinking about this. And I think that's how it is. I, uh, and I think that Petraeus uh, story reflects this mutual use. I mean, like I would not <laughs> as a service to others uh, entity, I, I'm pretty sure that I've made that choice. Um, I would look at that uh, offer <laughs> of being used and saying, Hey, but you'll get something at the end. I'd be like, I don't, that seems like you're going to betray me at the end, right? Like oh. you're going to find some way to keep me on your hook mm -hmm. and not give me what I want, dangle it in front sure. of me. And like, when I'm at my worst, I fall for that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, think about it. A lot of jobs are like that. A lot of jobs are like that, where they promise you yeah. this experience, this nebulous experience in, in exchange for your concrete daily effort. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
there and like that, I guess that's where I was going is that um, to me, there's lots of service to self people who are involved in politics, but I don't know. I don't think that they're polarized. I agree. In fact, I think the closer they are to the public eye, the less likely it is that they're pulling the strings and the farther away, the more they are behind the scenes, manipulating things without people knowing who they are. I know this sounds really conspiratorial. I don't, I don't care who you think is behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say, we're, we're interested in the energy dynamics. We're interested in the metaphysical uh, mechanism going on here mm-hmm. of how power can be focused and whether that flows with the creators, the path to the creator, or whether that by its very nature uses resisting flowing with that path to create its own center of energy that then tries to reorder the entire creation with this limited separate self at the center of it. Does that make any sense at all? <laughs> yes, but it's it's one of those things I got to let simmer, you know, because I just, I kind of dove into abstract. this one. I dove into this one, not really having ideas formed, but just wanted to hash it out and see what we came up with. So, well, I think that the conflict creates energy. And I think all of us, no matter what, no matter what path we're on, we recognize the energy that conflict is capable of kind of expressing and channeling. And so it, it does get down to intention. Do you use that energy uh, as a learning tool to discover your oneness? Or do you use it to double down on the separation that you know, we already experience? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well. Nowhere to go from there. <laughs> that might be a good place to end, end, the, uh, end the session today. Um, yeah. Did you have all the anything, energy's gone? <laughs> did you have anything else with with karma that was that you want to throw out there? Um, I, there was a uh, quote from the '90s that mm-hmm. I was kind of interested in maybe reading um, because we've gotten very out there in the cosmic ethers with karma. Let's remember that for most people, though, these are about particular meaningful relationships Mm -hmm. that they're frustrated with. Sure. And so I'd like to explore it now at the end, now that we've kind of like blown out to the, to the, to the galactic level, we can come back to like, you know, the, the, the household level. Yeah. Um, And so this is uh, June 23rd, 1990 Kuo talking about um, forgiveness and karma. So they say, uh, karma is that energy held in dynamic tension with another entity where lives the intransigent desires of the self. I think I want to stop there because I think this is an interesting way to look at karma and how it plays with desire. Um, There's some sort of desire that's like caught up with another person's desire for something else Mm. um, or with their inability to fulfill what you desire. And so if we recognize it as playing with where we feel naturally attracted or where we want to be attracted and how that frustration helps us work on our own role in that, right? Mm -hmm. Because desire ultimately comes from the self and it's ultimately something that we purify to work with. It's not something that we necessarily satisfy to work with, right? Interesting. It's an engine. Yeah. Continuing, as you know, that which you seek you will receive. We have often urged you to be careful what you seek, for you will receive it. Be certain that you wish it. Your planet is full of unused and unusable energy 
due to this basic misunderstanding about the making of mistakes. The erroneous and faulty behavior is subjectively seen by the one who acts or by another as karma springs to life between one who is wronged and one who has done the wrong. And because of the pain engendered by this trauma, and because it does not make any worldly sense to forget those things which have caused you to stumble, the inertia of karma goes merrily along singing a repetitive song of, I got you, I got you. And the other person, if admitting guilt, says, he's got me, he's got me. (laughs) Other karmic relationships are even more complex. Both feel righteously wronged. And both want each other to apologize, to wipe the slate clean. Those are the situations that really get me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we both hold oh, something those against are, each other. Yes. I'm right there with you. I've, I've been in too many of those. <sighs> so both feel righteously wronged and both want each other to apologize, to wipe the slate clean. But will they apologize for their own lack of compassion? Never. For they have been wronged. Thus, there is precious little forgiveness among your people. And those few who truly do forgive are often those who are able to deal with a great mass of often misguided information and misinformation, which makes up the burden of a theology of that distortion of the law of one called Christianity. So I think that Jesus's message of forgiveness often over the last 2000 years has been tweaked, tainted, maybe suited to fill the needs of a... (laughs) <laughs> of a probably service to self, <clears throat> you know, there is a power. I mean, you just look into the power dynamic of the, of the Catholic church over time. Oh yeah. That was, yeah. The, the, there's a really good uh, episode of hardcore history with Dan Carlin. It's a podcast about history that I really like, mm-hmm. but he talks about how Christianity started out uh, in the late Roman era as uh this, you know, it's very close to the message of Jesus, even though it had been, you know, made into, uh, it made, it was made safe for the Roman empire. Okay. It nevertheless had a lot of that forgiveness. And the thing that the Roman empire was always grappling with, with pure early Christianity was how can we run an empire if it's all about forgiveness and, and loving each other? Like we cannot <laughs> have power that way. Yeah. And as we went into the middle ages, uh, into the dark ages and, 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 you know, the, the, the early parts in the Middle Ages, you see uh, the Christ, Christian Europe running up against um, uh, the Vikings and other uh, 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 pagan, violent uh, groups. And how the, the episode is about how the message of Christianity was changed to turn Jesus from a peaceful, um, loving person into a warrior that these pagans could accept. As they got Christianized. No way. And how a lot of the martial spirit of Christianity is a result of this political project of dealing with yeah. uh, the, the the breakdown of the Roman Empire's ability to defend itself and the need to incorporate all these barbarians and pagans into there. I would highly recommend it um, because it, it offers a political side of this. But think that's the political side. There's also the uh, sort of philosophical side that just talks about, you know, this is a person who said, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. You can find that in Jesus's messages. Um, but uh, the idea is, what is that sword used for? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, mm-hmm. Because that is part of the creator. The part of the creator is conflict, fighting. But the question is, is what's the purpose that that serves? Is it served to concentrate power or does it serve to let it give us something to let go of? Yeah. 
Oh, the power of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> the power of ideas. Is there more for this quote? This quote uh, section? I don't see this is the problem with this. Like, you know where you want to end these excerpts. And like, I'm kind of like, ah, I don't know where to end it. Uh, let me just read a little yeah, bit do a little more. more. Okay. Um, now, let us back up for a moment and gaze at the true nature of what occurs when a lifetime has gone by and there has been no forgiveness. The hardened heart, with the rest of the physical complex of this entity, leaves its worn-out physical vehicle and enters a plane of existence in which it is quite obviously clear that there was no need to hold the grudge, to hold the pain, to wrap oneself in fear, disgust, or loathing. Moreover, it is seen by such an entity that this entity could just as well have played the other role. That's the thing that gets oh. me. When you realize, and I see this all the time, I can't tell you, listener, that you experience this. But if you do, you know what I mean. When you look at somebody and you're like, I cannot stand that that person does that. And the moment of recognition you have at some point, where the reason that you don't like it is you recognize it in yourself. Yes. You could just yes. have easily been on the other side and you would just as easily have been condemned. Because that's, that's probably what's turning you off. The fact that you don't want that of yourself and you see it in others. You're like, no, <laughs> no. So, so the material world of other entities becomes just a mirror of our own inner processes. And so there is a complete unity between forgiving others and forgiving the self. They're not two different. They may, they may manifest in our minds and our realities as two different steps. But at the end of the day, remember from the energetic underlying philosophical point of view that all of our thoughts, all of our actions are mere um, penumbras of, right? They, they rise out of this energetic matrix. Mm -hmm. uh, at that level, it's all the same thing. Forgiving another and forgiving the self, it's the same freaking thing. Um, all right. Let me... Uh, Let's see, where did I leave off? Moreover, it is seen by such an entity that this entity could just as well have played the other role. You dwell upon a stage and you are actors in a very real sense. You may choose the lines that you say. You are not bound by other people's understandings. You are not bound by the moribund morality of hard heartedness and unforgiveness. You see that you have all possible mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical states within you in potentiation. Not potentiated, but able to be potentiated should circumstances have caused your patterns of distortion and confusion to move into the difficult times of discontent and anger and hard-heartedness that precipitate a lack of forgiveness. Maybe that's part of the random number generator too, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe what was just read there. Mm -hmm. Um, but since you are between incarnations at that point, remember they, they had said you're, you, you've left the incarnation, you see yeah. the unreality and the, yeah. Um, but since you are between incarnations at that point, nothing can be done at that point in terms of correcting the situation and balancing by forgiveness, that intransigent and inevitable movement on the wheel of karma. Only one thing stops the wheel of karma and that is total forgiveness. Forgiveness is based upon the knowledge of who you are. Two things are important to remember here. Firstly, you are the least of all, as are all who serve. You do not have rights. You do not have privileges. You do not mount defenses that armor you from others. For you are stronger than that. You have upon you the entire armor of white light as your knowledge of the one infinite creator and your experience with this wonderful and peaceful and joyful presence increases. 
You must also remember that you are a portion of the creator and that which is forgiven by you will be forgiven and that which is retained by you will be retained. You are beings of immense metaphysical power and you squander your inheritance with petty grudges and hardness of heart. Great place to end it. Mm. But uh, oh, how to unpack that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Can you imagine, can you imagine, you know, passing away it like with a lot of grudges in your life and you come to that real, you, you get to a point where you can see the bigger picture and you're like, ah, oh, son of a gun. Why didn't I, <laughs> you know, oh. it's like when you take a test and all of a sudden you get the answer sheet like a, a, a day later and you're like, oh, I knew that. I knew that answer. I just, ah, crap. Well, at least you know? we have the comfort of knowing that when we have that realization of how much we mucked it up here. We'll be in a lot better position to at least forgive ourselves temporarily when we're at a little bit more unity. <laughs> but I, I, I have read things in Confederation uh, materials that bespeak a sorrow that people feel when they leave their incarnation, even when they've done it very well. How much they leave on the table, mm. how much doesn't get addressed, how much potential was there that through how much potential was there? How much the process of incarnation allows it to be much more workable than it is in the higher, uh, 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 denser realms. Like it is the very thing that makes conflict so frequent and intractable here that also allows us to experience it and work with it and fix it. Like I, I, I say fix it. Like, I don't think it really needs to be fixed, but you know what I mean? To work with it and to mm-hmm. get out of it, mm-hmm. that potential that, that they're talking about. When we see mm-hmm. it clearly, there's no way to really work with it in a hot, in, in a faithful way that uh, tests that you really have that within yourself. It's only when you're doing it with your arms tied behind your back and the blindfold on in third density veiled incarnate experience that it can actually have the weight that can actually scare you and, 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 and unbalance you enough to go back and seek that balance, to go back and do the work and to show yourself that you understand this. Do you think there's a, uh, I brought up earlier that if I ever feel guilty, that's a sign that I have that maybe I, you know, I'm not acting with love or there's something, there's something I'm doing wrong. And if I can, if I can recognize that guilt or recognize whatever feeling that I'm having, then perhaps there's a corrective mechanism or there's a corrective process that I could employ and fix whatever it is. Maybe it's talking to my wife, getting on the same page with my wife or, you know, whatever it may be. I wonder if as a culture, if, if we were taught that those internal, that those emotions that we have, those feelings that we have of discomfort, of discontent, of, of guilt, of whatever it may be, that's a signal that we should be listening for. And when you listen for it, it's almost like you can recognize you, everyone, I feel like, you know, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, you know what the problem is. And quite often it's just tackling the problem it's talking with another person it's it's working working through the issues instead of putting pushing that problem out to the side letting it stew you know letting it simmer but i wonder i just wonder if if culturally um like kids were taught to recognize what that was and 
that here's the process you can go through <laughs> to try to work through work through these issues you know i mean socially kids are taught um to behave yes they're not taught to balance within they're not taught to accept within they're not even taught that there's any kind of inner process at all it just kind of is implied just do as you're told and it's it is and it's understandable because what language would you use to talk with a child about mm-hmm. that right like everything because the child is waking up to incarnation everything is external everything is physical to them because that's they're a soul trying to get used to this body and used to this crazy experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do think that uh, we shouldn't uh, leave out the role that confusion plays in this. It is true Mm. that you can recognize these things Mm -hmm. and then maybe they're workable, maybe they're not. But I do think that people often get confused about their own lives and about their own thinking. They trick themselves into thinking that they think things that they actually don't. Because society expects it, uh, because they're supposed to, right? Like, sure. there's a lot of confusion at play. So, like, this is why meditation continues to be uh, the cure all, right? Because as you get to know yourself and you find out where your center is, uh, you can start to do that recognition that you were talking about. And it, it is in that recognition that the lessons we program for ourselves, the lessons that the creator benefits from come into particular focus and can kind of be made into, I think that we do have these moments in our lives where we recognize a certain amount of poignancy in whatever experience we're having, that it kind of stands out for, for us. Yes. And we recognize the vibration, the, 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 the resonance of this experience of this feeling quality. Uh, going through not just our life, but through multiple lives, through the creator, maybe in some cases, uh, even through the planet's need mm-hmm. to learn a certain thing and that we become kind of like a a poignant uh, archetype of that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's at these moments where you have this like really pure recognition that a lot of potential can be activated, right? You sort of find yourself at the cusp of multiple different paths forward. And you find that there is a significance to it. There is a there's a quality. Uh, there's a weight to it that then it 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 confers a lot of responsibility, but it also confers a lot of power. Yeah. And the question is always: Are we willing to take the reins or not? Not being willing to take the reins is not wrong. It just means we're not ready. But this podcast is for the people who are slowly waking up, or maybe have already woken up to the fact that they're ready. And so these things can be worked with in this much more skillful way. Why? Not because I'm smart, you're smart, or the create or, or the or the confederation is smart. It's not just that. There is, you know, all sorts of spiritual guidance in our planet. Um, all sorts of traditions that talk in different from different angles about this essential task that we have, and it's framed in, you know cruder or more refined terms, but the energy is the same. It can be worked with just the same because remember perception is creative. You are the master that makes the grass green. So go. So, so I guess what I would say in addition to meditation is get a purify your desires, get clear on what you want. I mean, even in a selfish way, like get clear on what you want because the clearer you get, the more you realize that your true desire is not for that you know, for me, it's like, you know, I, I, I want a Rollins system eight, right? Like oh, I yeah. really want 
a system eight because Ryan's been talking it up. It's wicked, but uh, it's a keyboard. Uh, it's a keyboard. It's yeah. A synth. <laughs> <laughs> a synth. But like uh, uh, at the end of the day, that's not going to make me happier. Mm. You know, I think um, maybe to wrap this up, there's a there's a lot of power in defining what it is that you want and being OK with it. Because culture, American culture would say that success is money and success is owning things. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people feel that way. Yes, we all want security, I think, but there's, there's really meaningful things out there that, that a lot of people want that sometimes it's hard to recognize because you may feel there's a social taboo or there's a social whatever negative viewpoint on what it is that you want to do or that you want to experience. So I think coming to terms with who you are and what you want, what you desire is a great place to start. A lot of these spiritual traditions have, in my opinion, been doing the work of building up a vocabulary where we can even talk with other people about this. Because without that, how would you even know that you're expect anything else is to be done than that what is socially expected of you, right? Mm -hmm. And you're right. Like success is money, success is power, success is fame. When we decide that success is peace and success is being there for each other, right? That's when things will change. And that's what fourth density positive is. My friend, that is a great place to stop. We gotta (laughs) stop sometimes. (laughs) We do, but success may not be power and money. It may be peace within ourselves. Yeah. Well, my friends, thank you for joining us for this wonderful, albeit slightly longer than usual conversation. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about next week, but whatever it is, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, it seems like uh, I thought we would go short today because we're both kind of <laughs> recording this early, but uh, I think we got our second and third win sometime in there. <laughs> and the coffee finally kicked in, I think. Heck yeah. <laughs> well, Sir Jeremy, I will let you do the 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 uh, departing words from my, from ryan and me of uh, stay in the love and light